Well, good morning. We are rain or shine, still going to do lunch for the uh, staff at Glenview on Tuesday. So just so you know, if you're planning on coming and, and helping us and being a part of that, uh, where they're going to be eating and where we'll actually be serving is uh, in the area where we do pantry. So it'll be inside. Uh, the only person that's going to get wet on that day um, will be me. I'll be out cooking. So the rest of you don't have to worry about it, but we'd love to still have you and uh, come and, and appreciate uh, these teachers and the staff and the relationship that we've been building over the last uh, several years as we've been doing pantry for them. So that's on Tuesday, and we're going to start serving. They have a scattered or shift lunch, and so teachers and staff will come through on their lunchtime, and that begins about uh, 10.30 is the earliest one and goes till uh, about 1. And so we'll be there during that span of time. You're welcome to come at any part of it and stay as long as you can, uh, especially if you want to... Uh, help clean up. So anyway, if you have any questions about that, just let me know. And that's this Tuesday uh, at Glenview. So there was this fella, pretty rich guy, and so he, he throws a party. And he throws a party because uh, he's extravagant. Uh, some might even say that he's pompous, and so he likes to show off. So he invited all of his, you know, his kind of highfalutin friends to come over to this party. And he's got a swimming pool uh, in, his, in his backyard in the party area there. And people get there and they arrive and they notice in the swimming pool, it's full of alligators. And so he's got the swimming pool full of alligators, right? And so as the party's going on, he stops everybody and kind of makes an announcement. He says, I'm going to give $1 million or the hand of my daughter to any young man who can make it across this swimming pool unharmed. And almost before he got the last word out of his mouth, they heard a splash. And everybody turned in amazement. They saw this young man frantically kicking and, and, and arms flailing and swimming as hard as he could to the other side of the pool. And he gets out on the other side of the pool, unharmed. And so everybody's like, wow! And so now their attention turns to the wealthy man. Because he's made quite the promise, right? A million dollars or my daughter in marriage? And so everybody stops and now they're looking at him and he's looking at them and he's thinking, oh, now I'm... So he looks at the young man. He says, all right, young man. He says, uh, so what, what's it going to be? He says, do you want a million dollars or do you want my daughter's hand in marriage? And the young man said, sir, I want neither your daughter nor your money. All I want to know is who pushed me in the pool? And so, our words reveal a lot about our character. What we say reveals a lot about our character and about our faith. And as Christians, we're called to a higher standard because you and I represent Jesus Christ. As Christians, we represent our Lord and Savior. And so as children, we were instructed that lying is bad. We must never lie. And so when people lie to us, it changes the way we look at them, right? changes the way we see them, and it changes the way we treat them when we find out someone has lied to us. And in cultures around the world, there are powerful sanctions against lying. Not so much in the United States, but other places uh, there seem to be. And so for such a widely denounced behavior, you might ex expect a consensus as to what constitutes a lie. But there doesn't seem to be one. Most people would consider me a liar... If I said I did not rob a bank when I actually did rob a bank, we see people who are convicted and everybody, everybody that's convicted, I say everybody, this is a wide blanket, 
was innocent, right? Nobody did the crime that they're convicted of. So some of our dishonesty can be a bit more subtle, though, when we catch ourselves. Have you ever passed someone that says, Hey, how are you doing? I say, Oh, good, how are you? When in fact you're not. <laughs> you're not doing good at all. Have you ever smiled back and, and responded, Yeah, I'm, things are great, even when you're not feeling well? Maybe you were extremely tired. Maybe you were annoyed by something that had just happened earlier in the day. Maybe you just were in a hurry on top of all that. Maybe you just didn't want to be in a conversation. And so we say something just to kind of get us, get us going, get us past that. Does that constitute a lie? Is that lying? How about if you just forced a smile at a familiar face on the street, even if you didn't feel the emotion that would back up a smile? What if you just forced a smile at someone? Is that lying? Does that constitute a lie? Should all cases of misleading self-presentation, should that be considered a lie? We misrepresent ourselves. Well, the world says no. Unequivocally no, it says. But if we let them set the standard, then we're surely going to miss the mark that Christ has set for us. So kingdom residence, talking about God's kingdom, kingdom residence of God's kingdom have a different expectation which is set. First and foremost, it's set by our Lord and Savior. And so we look to Him as our example. And so the shading of a truthful reality is not a problem that begins only during an election cycle. It goes on continually. And so here are the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not break an oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, do not take oaths at all. Not by heaven, because it is the throne of God, and not by earth, because it is His footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great King. Do not take an oath by your head, because you're not able to make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. More than this is from the evil one. So we've been looking over these past few weeks, looking with our eyes focused on God's kingdom and what it means to live in God's kingdom come. Our eyes are set on, on the, our eternal kingdom, but our feet are planted in, on this earth right now. And so as, as a shadow of things to come, as, as the church of Christ, the body of Christ, as someone who professes Christian, how am I supposed to live in this world right now as part of God's kingdom? And so kingdom, remember, is wherever the king's will is carried out. And so we've seen how the standards by which Christ followers live, we've, we've got to base those on a holy standard. And so Jesus says that our righteousness, as He speaks to, to these folks we read in Scripture, He's speaking to us too. Our righteousness, the, the, the way in which we live in obedience to God's truths, God's will, God's way, our righteousness must exceed what we see in the example of these self-serving proclaimers of holiness that we know as the Pharisees. And so they were considered by the people to be the standard of righteousness. And that misled a lot of people when they looked to them as, as the standard bearers. And so Jesus comes on the scene and He destroys that worldview completely. And so it might not, it, it's not enough that they only stressed external obedience of the law. Because that's what it was about. As long as we looked holy, people would think we were holy... And somehow, in our minds, we become holy. But that doesn't make one holy. God's standards are measured by the heart. God sees the heart. And so God wants obedience, but from a heart filled with faith. 
a heart that's been transformed by His love and His grace because of the Spirit of God that's living within us and so working within us. And so Jesus says here that He can tell what is in the heart by the words proceeding out of our mouth. Because what you say matters. And what I say matters. What we say matters. It makes a difference because words bring hope. And words bring despair. And words create vision. And words create confusion. So words matter. It matters. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love its use will eat its fruit. And so our mouth can, can assemble this morning and we can sing beautiful praise to God. And yet our mouth can destroy relationships. And in, in their book, The Day America Told the Truth, authors James Patterson and Peter Kim revealed that 91% of Americans lie on a daily basis. 91% lie on a daily basis. Would it matter to you if I told you that book was published in 1991? That's a long time ago. Things have changed, right? I'm sure the numbers are better today. Wouldn't you think so? People are people. And temptation is temptation. And sin is sin. No matter what year it is. The world is not our standard for living. It's not our standard for character. Again, you have heard that it was said to an older generation. You've heard in the past, do not break an oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. So you can go back through the law of Moses. Go back all the way through Scripture, and then multiple times people are warned, don't you dare make a false promise. Don't make a false vow. Don't make a false pledge. And so Jesus summarizes those statements here in His words. Swearing falsely by the name of God is to profane His holy name. If I swear by God's name and I do not keep that promise, I profane His name. And so sometimes people will promise to do something for someone else or with someone else. And in that moment, when we promised that, it might have seemed like a good idea. We might have had full intention of doing it at that time. But, but, but after a little thought, after a little time passes, maybe we have second thoughts. And instead of being honest about it, we make excuses and we make delays and we put off what we promised to do. And so we keep kicking the can down the road. And so God also said if an oath or a promise was made then the people better not delay in fulfilling it. Don't put it off. Keep your word or else they're going to be judged by their actions. So yes, you should not break an oath or a promise you have made. Jesus says, this is what you've been told. But I say to you, do not take oaths at all. Don't have this mindset. Here's where the, the, the righteous Pharisees excel. See, they taught it was okay to break an oath as long as you use the proper oath-breaking formula. As long as you use the right formula, then the oath wasn't really binding. And so you have, the problem was is you had to pay attention or you had to know what the formula was in order to realize that whatever they said, they weren't going to do. And so it's the age-old cross your fingers behind your back, right? When you promise something, you remember this in, in school. I remember elementary school. We used to play this trick on people all the time. It was funny. And so, you know, somebody would come up and ask you something and you'd give, give an answer, some you know, crazy answer. And so you would mislead them. But the whole time, you go, aha, I got my fingers crossed. It didn't count. It doesn't matter. And so then people started picking up on that game. And so then what do you do? Then what do you do? Well, it's, it's that elementary slippery slope. 
Because then you cross your toes inside your shoes. Or you subtly cross your legs at the ankle when you say what you say. Aha, my legs are crossed, doesn't count. And so we begin playing these games, you know, and so it wasn't a lie if something was cross. So you'd make a statement, you'd deny something or or promise something while your feet were crossed or your arms are crossed. And then just got, well, I'm just going to cross my mind. (laughs) I'm going to tell you this, but I don't have any intention of following through with it or doing it. So there are all kinds of ways to figure out how to get out of something by bending the rules of the game. And so the problem is, growing up, we still cross our proverbial fingers. We still do this. And so for those that Jesus is speaking to, they understood that if if a person was invoking the name of the Lord uh, in an oath, then they were bound by that. But if they swore by Jerusalem, or they swore by heaven, or they swore by something else... My mother's grave, that's a popular one for some crazy reason. It's always been since I've been growing up. Then by doing that, because you did not actually use God's name in the equation, you didn't speak His name, then you're permitted to break that oath. So what's going on here? Well, someone who makes or uses the oath-breaking formula never intended to keep that promise. They never intended to fulfill their obligation that they stepped into because they built a loophole right into the equation. So here's the heart of the matter. They're still lying. It's still a lie. So just like with adultery and just like with divorce, the Pharisees wanted to narrow the definition of sin while they broadened the definition of purity so that they could fit that within every circumstance that they found themselves or every circumstance they created. So they could justify themselves in their own eyes. And so... Jesus reveals the flaw in their logic here as He brings this out. In the darkness in their heart, when He reveals everything belongs to the Lord. It doesn't matter what you say or what you promise on, everything belongs to the Lord. So He says, I say to you, do not take oaths at all. Not by heaven, because it's the throne of God. Not by earth, because it's His footstool. And not by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great King. And so if you swear by heaven... Well, that's where God's throne is. So now you've brought God into the equation. And so if you swear by earth, well, that's His footstool. Guess what? You've attached God to this again. Swear by Jerusalem? Well, that's the the, the great city of the Lord's Messiah. So He's still involved here. Do not take an oath by your head because you're not able to make one hair white or black. He says you don't even have the power over your own hair without chemical intervention. You can't do anything miraculous about your circumstance. It's all the Lord's. And so Jesus is laying out here how no matter what they swear by, they have effectively invoked the Lord because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so everything is His. He's already a part of the promise. And later on, Jesus would say, chapter 23, verse 21, whoever swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and the one who sits on it. So Jesus, again, is getting to the heart of the matter. Kingdom residents have the truth of Christ in our hearts. And that truth is going to be revealed in what we say and what we do. And so God foretold through the prophets and He revealed through the New Testament writings that when we receive Christ through baptism... We receive His Spirit. So God's law is written on our hearts. Well, what does that mean? 
It means now we want to do the things our Father wants us to do. And we want to follow His example. It, does, it doesn't get away from the struggle. Paul struggled, right? I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. You know, we, we, we know what we want to do. We know what we should do. It doesn't eliminate the struggle. But the fact is that when we have the Spirit of Christ, God's law is written on our hearts so we understand and know the right thing to do. Doing it is a different matter. God is true and He always speaks the truth. Always speaks the truth. John writes, 1 John 1 and verse 5, Now this is the Gospel message. This is the good news that we've heard from Him and announced to you. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. That's amazing comfort for us to realize this and to embrace this because I know when I come to the Lord, there is no shifting of shadow. God is not crossing His fingers with every promise that He has made to us. He is true and He is just and He's eternal. He's not going to forget what He's promised either. Hebrews 6 and verse 18 says, it's impossible for God to lie. And praise God for that. Because it ain't for me. And it probably ain't for you either. But because God always keeps His promises, we should too. We've got to do better. We do better. What did we read earlier? Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess, for the One who made the promise is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. And what is the greatest promise that God has given to us the fulfillment of which we have entrusted to Him. What is that greatest promise? It's salvation. I will save you. If you do this, you will be saved. And we trust Him with that. We live by faith in God's promise because we've seen time and time again how throughout Scripture He has been faithful to His promises. It's not blind faith. Proverbs 12.22 says that the Lord abhors a person who lies, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. And so should we abhor lies. And so must we be people who are truthful. Truth strengthens relationships and lies destroy relationships. So a store manager overheard an employee telling a customer, no, we, ma'am, we haven't had any of that in a long time, and I don't know when we'll be getting any more of it. And the manager was furious. And so he called that employee aside and he said, don't you ever tell a customer that we don't have something and you don't know when we're going to get it. You tell them that, yes, ma'am, we've got it ordered and it's going to be here soon. Do you understand me? And the employee said, yes, sir. He said, well, by the way, what, what was she wanting? The employee said, rain. <laughs> Y'all get it in a minute. We, we need to be plain-spoken people. Plain-spoken people who mean what we say and say what we mean. And so if you're an employer, an employee, or simply someone who's just doing regular business, or if it's someone you're doing regular business with, if they know you as a person of your Word, that's going to increase your influence. Your influence with them increase your opportunity, and it increases our attraction from those around us. They're attracted to people who are truthful people. We use the word integrity, and we use it too loosely. But at the heart of integrity is truthfulness. 
And so we are commanded to speak the truth in love. And so people will respect us far more if they know that they can trust what we say. Even if they disagree with us, if they can trust us, they can take us for truthfulness instead of slick-talking deceivers. They respect us more. And so the father of lies, he lied about the character of God way back in Genesis 3. And he still lies about the character of God today. He hasn't stopped. 2016, there was a study done revealing that the, the physiological change that happens in our brain when we lie. And so the emotion center of the brain fires up when someone is in a, in a situation, when they're faced with a, a struggle between telling the truth and lying. It's almost a, a, a high, a euphoria. It's an excitement of can I get away with this? Or will I get away with this? Escaping something. Escaping a negative outcome by telling a lie. And so there's a physiological change that happens in our brain. But guess what happens the more a person lies? Well, yep. <laughs> Just like with anything. The emotion center gets used to it. And it doesn't fire off anymore. And guess what? It just becomes what we do. It becomes natural to do. And so it becomes easier. It makes a lot of sense when you consider the world around us and how it operates. The position it operates from. The truth is not always easy. It's not always easy to say. And it's not always easy to hear. And so we struggle with speaking the truth. When doing it in a loving constructive, non-judgmental way. And so sometimes it may seem easier to shade the truth. And there's a difference between telling the truth and lying and tactfulness. Lying to someone is not being tactful. Jesus never shaded the truth. And He spoke the truth from a position of love. And He never used the truth as a weapon either. And so the all-knowing, all-powerful Son of God, He said this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. More than this is from the evil one. More than this is from the father of lies. More than this is from Satan. And so that, my friends, is where we live. It's this twisted thought that somehow yes would not mean yes and no would not really mean no. And so this isn't about don't misunderstand. This isn't about something unexpected has come up. And so when I said yes, I didn't know about this. And now this has happened and I cannot do yes because I must do this. This is emergent. This is, requires a, a precedence over what I said before. It's not talking about that. It's about true intentions that are veiled in a false honesty. And so one of the most horrible stains on the name of Christ is caused by the many who profess to know Him and yet lack honesty. So being a Christian should immediately invoke in other people this sense that you can be completely trusted. You are trustworthy. And so then when we are wrong, when things happen that we did not plan, either by speaking without thinking or speaking before we knew the full implications or the full requirements of whatever we were agreeing to, when those things happen, then we do everything within our ability and our opportunity to make amends for failing to hold up to our commitment. Because instead, it's, it's opposite in so many circles. And so one person put it this way, you can't believe some people even when they swear they're lying. <laughs> you can't believe them then. Our words are binding in the sight of God. Let your yes be yes 
and your no be no. More than this is from the evil one. So why do people even think that oaths are necessary? Why would someone even feel compelled to add the words, I swear to God, in their statement? Why would we feel to, to do that? Well, it's very simple. And it's very complicated. It's because of sin. Sin is the reason. We want people to trust us, and so we make a promise to show them that we're really serious this time. This time's for real. It's going to be different, I promise. Things are going to change, I promise. I didn't mean to do that, I promise, right? I'll be there to help you, I promise. And so what, in fact, are we saying? We're saying, trust me. Trust me. Because when people doubt, they demand a promise. And John Stott said, oath-taking is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. See, oaths cannot compensate for poor character. You cannot make up for poor character by taking an oath, by swearing, by promising. Jesus declared that we should live our lives in such a way that oaths and promises are not necessary. Now, there's a reason our legal system requires statements under oath. There's a reason why there are perjury laws on the books, and there are reasons why arguments must, must be, agreements rather, must be sealed with, with written contracts, legal word speak. There's a reason for that, but it should not be necessary for a Christian. There are legal requirements and, and, and legal repercussions, but those should also not be the reason why a Christian is compelled to tell the truth. So when we're asked, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, our response should be, yes, and I would have done that anyway. That should be our response. And so as citizens of God's kingdom, our character is on display. And people see our character and they see how faithful we are. They see that our yes is yes. And they see that our no is no. And they understand and recognize our word is good. And this requires some care on our part requires some care because before we say yes or before we say no, we've got to make sure that within the best of our ability, we have given a thoughtful response. We think about what we're saying, what we're agreeing to, what we're stating because we are going to be held accountable for our words to those, from those who hear them, but ultimately from God. God has told us that. Every word we speak will be held account by Matthew 12:36 I tell you that on the day of judgment people will give an account for every worthless word they speak. And a good testament of our credibility starts at home. And so when you promise your spouse that you'll do something, do it. When you tell your child something, do you mean it? Does your child believe you? Do they question your word? Does your brother or sister believe you? Our credibility depends on our follow-through. And so we should not have to take an oath in order to, to feel obligated to fulfill our word. I didn't promise I would do it, right? When we make a promise, Jesus teaches us that we must mean it and we must fulfill it without resorting to some kind of uh, fancy, impressive-sounding oath. And Jesus' band of followers, they were called to be promise keepers. And we are His band of followers too. See, when we're not swearing by the temple, we are the temple. So when we give our word for something, we are swearing by God. 
Learning to speak the truth is essential if we are to be disciples of the way, the truth, and the life, as Jesus is called. And if we would be His followers, we must speak the truth like He does because the eternal kingdom of God is going to be purged of pure falsehood and deception. It's going to be made pure and to the fullest of our human ability. Today, by the power of His Spirit, so must His kingdom come be. Our lives must be pure of deception. We need to be people who are thoughtful of what we say, what we commit to. And then when things don't go as we intend, we need to be people who are quick to reconcile. can't always make it right with people. But first and foremost, we make it right with God. And sin stands in the way of being right with God. As Christians, when, when we sin, when we fall short, God gives us a great gift, an opportunity. Repent of that. Ask His forgiveness. Change our ways. And receive His forgiveness. What a blessing. What a promise. And there's another promise God has given those who are not in Christ. That one day there's going to be a judgment. Not only every word will we be accountable for, but every decision. And the greatest decision is, am I in Christ or out of Christ? If I've been baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins so that I can receive the gift of God's Spirit, so that I can be counted as a citizen of His eternal kingdom, so that I can begin today living in His kingdom come with the assurance, with the the peace that passes understanding that my eternal home is with God and He is walking with me every day. Are you ready to make that decision today? If we can help you in any way as you contemplate the truthfulness of your commitment to God, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement if we can pray with you, if we can celebrate your decision to be baptized this morning. Will you come as we stand and sing?